As entrepreneurs, we want to grow our business dramatically. We want to do it by serving our clients well, not only our current clients, but our future clients. Well, here's the challenge. The future is unknowable. So how do we go about and spot trends that we can use to better serve our existing clients and grow our business by attracting the right clients and customers to our business, whatever it is we do? Well, my next guest, he is a young man who is going to show many of us who are a little older exactly how he went from being a house painter making, I'm going to look at this, it was a low number, about 12 bucks an hour in seven years to doing many, many millions of dollars. Many millions of dollars. I mean, he blew me away when I first met Jason. It is through the talent of understanding where, you know, we use that analogy of Wayne Gretzky, where the hockey puck is going. If you want to know how in your industry to find out where the hockey puck is going so you can skate to it before your clients, your future clients, stay tuned. I'm John Bowen. We're at AESNation.com, all about accelerating your success. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep. Think bold. Drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com. Jason, Jason Flanlin, uh, I appreciate so much you joining us today. John, it's an, the honor is mine for being able to be invited here. I must be doing something right. Well, you are, <laughs> and that's why you're here. I, mean, I want to just set the stage. Uh, Jason and I just met each other a few months ago or a couple months ago uh, at a, well, actually we met before, but we didn't really connect. And we, we uh, so we've known each other for a little bit, we knew of each other, but we, I finally got a chance to sit next to him at a mastermind group, uh, Joe Polish's Genius Network Mastermind Group, some of the most successful CEOs, and particularly from a marketing perspective. And Jason did a 10 minute talk that blew all the older guys away. I think all the younger guys and gals too. But, you know, it's just Jason had made such an impact in such a short period of time. And, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, he's using online tools. But what I want, this is for all entrepreneurs that if you want to be able to spot trends and be able to walk through it systemically, and we're going to go through how to do this, uh, Jason did. Um, it's amazing. But, Jason, before we go into that, I mean, you know, you've heard this before. You'll, you'll get uh, uh, guys like me that will prejudge you. You get a little more hair than I do. I'm multiple spots. <laughs> You're a younger guy. And they're going, what's this guy going to share with me? You know, how did you get from house painter to what you're doing now? Well, yeah, it's definitely true. I'm uncapped. I don't have the fancy books in the background right here, you know, my whole office. But, you know, really how I got to it was I just focused and I said to myself, if I wanted to get into a market, I first of all realized being an entrepreneur is the only way I was going to make real serious money. So that's good. Everybody here is listening to this podcast already understands that, which 99% of the population doesn't, right? And then I said, well, how, what's the vehicle that I'm going to use? Well, I was always technically inclined since a child. I grew up in that generation. So I started looking online and I noticed that here is a way where I can serve hundreds or thousands or millions of people without ever leaving my home. 
uh, in multiple countries, and all they got to do is figure out things that they're willing to buy from a complete stranger who they've never met, right? Uh, and they're willing to buy from me that cost almost no money for me to create up front that have super duper high margins. And so I work backwards from that. Uh, when I started, I was selling $4 ebooks. Uh, I was taking out these little $20 ads on websites, selling $4 ebooks. And then within a year, people said, I really like your books, I really like your information what else do you got? So I said, well, what else do you want? And then I'd go out, figure these little systems that people were struggling with for a problem, put it in an information product, solve it to them, charge a relatively low price for it. And I, and I amassed a following of a lot of customers in a little amount of time due to that. And then I figured out how to do it right. So then I started building offers that were a little bit more complex, but also delivered a lot more value, worked up to the higher price points, brought, brought in operations, which I'm horrible at, right? Uh, so I built the team around me and everything, and we've been able to transform. Um, the talk I did at uh, uh, Joe's thing was we did $14 million, or we did $11 million of sales in 14 days as an affiliate, meaning we promoted somebody else's product, and we, we get 50% of that, right? Uh, an example of some of the things that you and I will talk about here today, but uh, that is a record as far as I'm concerned in promotions, and the only way I got there was what we just said. I focused down. I realized I can serve a lot of people with high margin, uh, thin air type of goods that we sell, and then just every year get better than last year, right? Well, let me – I want to go over a couple – got too much stuff, information all at <laughs> once here, Jason. So I want to – for those of you who are not into online marketing, and uh, four years ago I didn't know what an affiliate sale is, and sure. uh, I, I just want to basically, well, Jason, tell them what affiliate sale is, and because what's what's really interesting as a fellow entrepreneur, what you're really being done is you're being paid to market, and because you don't have to produce the end product at all, so it's you're getting a share for bringing people to somebody else. But how, how does that work? And then I, I want to come back to the date that you started doing this so we get some time frame around it sure so like you know i know that you serve a lot of uh, people in the financial market right john and i'm a little weary exactly how this works but i know in certain instances if financial people recommend certain products or retirement packages for other people they can get a percentage of that right like i know my financial planner when he has me file disability insurance on myself. I know he's getting a take somewhere, someplace, you know. That's basically what an affiliate is. The way I like to explain it is I'm a commission salesperson. So imagine me coming to you and you saying, Jason, you now work for my company and any sale you make for this product, I'll give you 50% of the profit on, right? Or 50% of the gross. It depends on the structure, right? And I say, awesome, great. Cut me loose and I will be back with a thousands of customers for you or more right and you just give me half the money uh, and then after that we we shake hands we you exchange the money with me and we both part ways and you're happier because uh, you're only paying me out of a result as opposed to paying for advertising and not knowing what result you're getting right and i'm happy because i have the ability to figure out what existing products are likely to be most exciting to certain customer bases and presented in a certain way that most people don't know how to do uh, so it's 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 relatively easy for me in, in concept of course applying it is always the hard part right and that's what an affiliate does i i'm like your commission salesperson i'm get, i'm taking usually half of the sale mm -hmm. and i'm getting you business you probably would have never otherwise got well which it, makes me very in demand by well, the way it, 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 <laughs> so, there's a fair number i would say about half the people at joe's group joe polish's group are online marketers and they're, they're listening to jason do this i mean imagine that there's some individual that in 14 days can generate 11 million in sales and then half of that obviously goes to the 
person producing, but it's not only that, but they're now starting the relationship so there's the opportunities for upsales and everything else. So this is where partnerships are made. And it's not that we're talking about you doing affiliate sales, but I just want to talk, you know, I think, Jason, what you said, that it's really just a, a results-based uh, marketing cost. And this is, a, you know, in 14 days, how many of us as entrepreneurs, and I'll raise your hand, uh, would like to have, you know, $11 million in sales? And, you know, so Jason is a proven talent in doing this. Now, I want to go back, though, to the uh, you know the four ebooks. What what year was that, Jason? Two thousand seven, November of two thousand seven. Okay, so you know we're talking about seven years as this has all happened, and and you know what when Jason and I were talking, uh, you know what became very clear was his ability to to work through a whole process of getting the results. I mean, so often what we do is we all think that. You know, you know, somebody like this is really tactical. And I, Jason is in the sense that he understands tactics and he's got a great team around him. But what the biggest part is understanding, and he mentioned this, and this is for all of us, is understanding kind of, you know, I grew up in the Northeast, so I'm going to say the hockey puck, where the hockey puck is going so we can skate to it, not to where it was. And so I want to go in the, the very first thing, uh, Jason, that jumped out at me when we met and when we've now got to know each other well, is that ability to do trend setting, you know, to understand where trends, you know, relating it to products, but it's really, you know, whether you're selling widgets or you're a professional service organization or an online uh, marketer, you know, what we need is we need to know where it's going. H how do you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, first of all, what I did is I observed the need to be able to do that and the value that it could provide to, to my business, right? Uh, what I have noticed is very often we, when we're serving a market, so I never think in terms of products, I always think in terms of market. When we're serving a market, very often it's reactionary. Like we wake up one day and say, hey, all these people like wearable technology and they're exercising now, so let's create a Fitbit style thing. Now, you're doing that as a reaction of observing the market already desperately looking for a solution. So you're always playing catch-up. Maybe, maybe other competitors got there before you, so now you're behind competition. And more important than the competition is you're behind what your customer wants. So your customer will never feel comfortable with you saying, this person knows me better than I know myself. Uh, and that's where the real relationship comes from, right? But more important than that, too, is this. is like if I'm playing catch-up for the customer, I will never be able to engineer uh, a value proposition for them that can truly be transformative like and get results that have, you've never seen before in your business. So the thing here is if I know where the customer is going to be or what they want before they even want it, start working on it in advance. Advance. So the day they wake up and say, I want this, I say, well, here it is. It's already done for you. Not only then I do, do not have a competition and I can set my own prices, but even more importantly, my customer doesn't just make that transaction with me once. They say, wow, Jason gets me. If I ever have anything I need in the future, I'm going to turn to him first. And only if he doesn't have it then will I consider other options, right? Uh, so it's both a short-term thing, so tactics do apply, but it's also a long-term branding play. It's, you know, it, it comes from this quest of, I want to know my customer better than they know themselves. So therefore, I can give them solutions in advance of them even realizing they need them. When the time is right, I have them. Now, of course, it's very dangerous, because if I'm wrong, oh my God, I'm wrong. <laughs> no, it, well, and if you do this kind of stuff, you're going to be wrong on occasion, and, you know, one of the big things we're going to get into is how do you pivot on this? But, 
you know, Jason, go a little deeper on, you know, Trendspot. I mean, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley and, you know, I like to, you know, I've got a lot of connections and everything else. You and I are both fairly well connected now in our various roles. And, it, you know, it's, I kind of, I think I'm pretty good at spotting trends. Um, is there a way for someone who isn't as good, uh, you know, they don't think it comes intuitively, they're not as well connected. How, how would they go about in their industry really starting to see, you know, trends develop the clients? I always think, you know, we want to enter our clients, you know, in that process of what they're thinking about. And, you know, and before they know it, what it is they want, but they've got something in the back of the mind. How, how do you help fellow entrepreneurs do that? Uh, it's actually, it, it's very technical. People think it is intuitive, but here's where I start, John. I look at the market, and now I come from a information-based market where basically people are paying you like, hey, I want to learn how to do blank, and I'm willing to pay you money to educate myself with the product I buy from you to do blank, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, here's what I have discovered after years of working in uh, information-based markets is 90% of the people who buy your product, that one specific product will not be the transformative end-all, be-all solution that they want. So somebody might buy a product because they said, you know, I'm very unproductive, so therefore I'm going to buy this productivity kit that's going to teach me how to be productive. Uh, and, you know, the fact is that not only do you have to buy the product, which is a challenge for some people, you then have to read the product or consume the product, which is an even bigger challenge. And then you have to reflect on what you consumed to draw conclusions of what to do. That's three. And then number four, then you have to actually do it, right? Uh, so what I've discovered analyzing markets that seeking specific solutions to problems that they have is, first of all, if it's a problem, problems are very hard to solve. And so that's why they often buy many different products so that are related to the exact same solution. But even more important than that is they will probably not solve it with the first, second, third, or fourth, or fifth thing that they do. Typically, success comes because they get one little piece from here. They get one little piece from here. They do something that creates an experience for them to draw their own conclusions on further. And then over time, by continuing to move forward, they get the solution and the breakthrough. You take away any one piece of the puzzle that they bought, and maybe they don't succeed. But the fact is most people in an information-based uh, niche are, are going to fail with the very product that they buy. And a lot of people think that's bad, right? They're like, oh, you're selling stuff for most people when that one particular product, uh, they don't succeed and achieve every single benefit related to that. And I just say, hey, that's the nature of the game. It, I mean, look at anything that I've tried to do to shift myself, you know? I'm about a year and a half now between several different diets to lose weight, you know? I'm a slow learner, but I'm not giving up, and I'm thank God people are selling me ways to improve upon that, right? But the point of this is, as I've noticed, is most people, when faced with these problem-solving uh, challenges, they're very less likely, in general, to blame themselves. They're really going to say, well, it's, it's my fault for not implementing, or it's my fault for not um, uh, paying enough attention. They'll usually blame the vendor, right, or they'll blame the technique, or they'll say, well, even if this technique has been proven to work for every other person who's ever taken it, but not for me, well, it's because of this situational thing over here. So they're very unlikely, and we're all guilty of this, me included, we're willing very rarely to take personal responsibility. Uh, instead, we like to externally blame things. So here's what happens. So when something becomes popular in these markets, after a while, the, the very audience gets sick of the thing that's popular because it typically doesn't provide them the result that they want, the magic bullet, right? So then they usually will move to the opposite of that thing. 
So I'll give you a great example, John. In my market, we're an online marketing company, right? And so people come to us. My best customers when I first started, they were people that used to own physical retail businesses. With you know, and this this mm -hmm. this was their complaints. The the profit margins aren't very good on them. Um, it's location based and geography based. Um, you know, it's not going to make me the money I want. And online is wide open, high profit margins. I can reach everybody. Blah blah blah. Yada yada yada. Right? These same people six years later now come to me, and we have them set up Amazon businesses, selling physical products. And they say, you know what? The information market, Jason, was too confusing for me. It requires me to be a personality, which I don't want to be it got too competitive and, and the cycle has completed itself right and I'm joking uh, I said I, I was saying to my business partner I said in four years there's going to be another information boom because most people who go out and do this physical product business are they're not they're going to fail because they don't have the resolve they're not willing to take personal responsibility and we give them everything we can to help them succeed and thank God we do because the ones that do succeed make it all worth it. But I go, these people are going to come back for us and say, that didn't work for me, Jason. What else do you have for me? So I said, we got to be able to be agile enough in four years to go back to the very thing that right now the customer is not interested in at all. So to be flexible and malleable. So the first thing you have to do to, 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 to put this in a soundbite is you have to observe what the market is currently interested in and seems very passionate and excited about and willing to buy things on with very little uh, agitation involved, right? And then you say, eventually the market will tire of this. And once they do, what is the next thing that's going to be the perfect thing for them if they're tired of the popular thing? that they're currently getting. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. iPhone for many years, smaller, 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 right? Now all of a sudden their tagline is bigger than bigger. Mm -hmm. It's the exact opposite of what they built the whole brand around, right? No, and this is, I mean, human behavior is human behavior. And, and, and this works, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about online side, but I, I've been in tangible businesses as well. And, and it really, this is something if you want to observe behavior and trends and unfulfilled uh, desires, you know, there will be openings for you in whatever business you have. Now, let's go. We've got trends. We've, we see a trend. We've got we've identified it. OK, it's one thing to identify it. Now we've got to actually, you know, create business and results around it. And the first thing is, how do you, Jason, get a strategy together? You know, the second thing we got first thing, we got to spot the trend. Second thing, we got to go ahead and really develop a strategy to take advantage of this and serve those clients. I mean, we're not going to exploit them. We're going to add value to them. But how do we do that? Yeah, absolutely. So then I look at the sales mechanism involved. So I say, first of all, we try to identify this is the thing that they're getting tired of now. So if they're tired of this thing, then what is the thing that we can present that's going to be fresh, new, exciting to them and be all the things the current thing is that they're trying and using and failing. It's going to be all the things that that thing isn't, right? So the second thing we have to ask ourselves is what's the sales mechanism? And what I mean by that is how are we going to articulate our offer, this new offer, right, in a way that is also fresh, okay? So if my audience, for example, is typically used to seeing a certain type of sales message, like let's just say they're used to hearing radio commercials, Either we do one of two things. We either say, how can we totally do radio commercials in a way that has never been done before? Or the second thing is, what's an alternative method that uh, we can also reach this audience with that our competition isn't using? Now, here's the funniest thing of all, John. So, you know how I talk about marketplaces are secular? Uh, vendors and providers are also secular. And what I mean by that is they typically use things that work really well, and then they quit using them. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, why? <laughs> 
Well, because they got bored of it. Not because it's not effective, okay? Because they got bored of it. Just as customers uh, want to move on and try new things if, if the current things don't grab them. Same thing with vendors. And so I'll give you an example specifically in my online business, and then we can apply it um, to all businesses, is there was a point in time where video became very popular in, in online business. And, and it's always been popular since. But I was actually on the online before YouTube even existed, right? And so there, the technology to where you could easily put videos up online for people to view and the internet connection, streaming abilities, all started coalescing. So sometimes there's these external influences that can change markets. So you have to be aware of those too. But this hit. And everybody ran down and said, oh, my God, video is going to revolutionize the online marketing experience, the selling experience. You know, uh, print is great online, but video is so much better because they can hear your voice. They can see you. You can sell on video in ways that you can't sell in print. Every vendor runs out. They literally stop doing campaigns that are working successfully to do these new video campaigns, right? And I sit back there, and we start using PDFs. When everybody uses videos, we use a PDF. Why? Because there is no load problems with the video. So all these aggravations when people want to watch a video and it loads. The fact is that most people don't know how to do video effectively because they're learning the media while using the media. So you get these videos where these guys ramble on for 10 minutes before they make a point. They're poorly produced. So the customer gets very sick of those types of videos. And most importantly is what every media has a disadvantage. So the disadvantage of video is I can't consume lots of content on a video in a short period of time. I have to sit down and watch somebody. I can't scan through it. I can't skim through it. I can't pick and choose which parts to pick from. And these are all the things that a PDF does have. So we look at, we say, what's an old media or a media that used to be successful but doesn't seem to be unsuccessful these days because of any other factor other than people just got bored of using it, right? How can we position this new sales mechanism against the popular sales mechanism that all of our other competitors are applying? And then how can we use the disadvantages of that sales mechanism that you're using to, to foster all the advantages of the one that we're going to use? So we're really inventing two things. We're inventing the next thing that we think the customer is going to, and we're inventing a new way to communicate to that customer this new thing that we have. It's like exponentially increasing. It's not like, you know, 10 plus 10 is, is 20. It's like 10 times 10 is 100, right? Uh, and, and so that's how we do it. So that was a specific example. We went and we used PDFs when everybody else was using video. But in any market, that can be extremely effective. So like if everybody in your market, let's just say you're selling um, – physical retail beauty products and everybody in your market is going for this high-end beautiful glitzy glamoury look you know and they're hiring celebrities and then you come on with the ugliest jar you've ever seen and you say well yeah this is grandma's secret recipe and now they're like oh it's all the things that the pretty glitzy glamoury stuff isn't it must be good if it's that ugly you know because otherwise why would they put it out there right it, it must be effective it, it, it's not corporate because all the corporate ones are glossy i'm dealing with a real human being if it looks like it comes in a mason jar right and so it's it, now if everybody starts doing the mason jar then you come back with the pretty thing and they're like oh it's pretty it must be better right so the, the idea you have to be malleable but if we change the offer and we change how we communicate the offer mm -hmm. we we have attention doesn't guarantee a sell but it guarantees attention and well, if we can get attention then it's really easy to transition that, to that yeah, is yeah. a big deal i mean so we've got the trend we're going to identify buyers uh we're going to get real clear on where it is going and what the results they want and then how they may become disillusioned along the way a percentage of them 
We've got the strategy of okay, we're going to be we're going to differentiate ourselves and really uh, be distinctive in what we're doing, and we're going to get dive it down to the tactical part where we're going to use different tools than everyone else is using, so we're not one off. Now, what happens, Jason? You and I have done you know these kind of campaigns. Uh, you've done more than I have by far, but when we do these, you know, one of the things I love is. The market provides us feedback, and and on occasion we're brilliant. I mean, you know, I don't know for you, it's probably more than me. It's very seldom, but when it happens right away, and oftentimes we have to do some fine tuning or pivoting along the way. Tell us how you work through that. I love that you brought that up, John, because almost always I'm wrong. Um, the first time I do this, almost always I'm wrong. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and I think it's a generational thing. Um, my generation is lacking in a lot of ways, let's be honest. But there's one thing that my generation has that I think is a significant advantage. We've grown up in real-time media. Um, and so it's very easy for me to understand the flexibility. Um, you know, I learned marketing from direct marketing guys who would, would – you know, print up millions of letters and drop them in the mail and send them out. Now, here's the problem with that. You can't, in the middle of dropping that out in the mail, call the mail carrier up and say, hey, take that letter out and put this letter in instead. No. I mean, and if you're buying magazine ads, you're looking at a three-month window. You place the order, you wait for the insertion, you measure the response, and then you make a decision. So we're talking three to six-month cycles to determine the viability of um, a marketing campaign or a business venture. I can determine viability often in a day sometimes even less, sometimes three days, sometimes six days. I really want to go longer than a week without being able to, to get data. Um, so a great example of that is um, if I'm going out there and I want to market this new concept. Oh, well, I'll give you a specific example. So one of the first products that we ever created in our business was this piece of software that was revolutionary. Now, if you want to talk about trends, here's another trick with trends. You take something in a different industry that you can apply in this industry. And then guess what? You're the first you invented it, right? Not really. I mean, the example I always give is one day a pharmacy says, "What? Well, let's just put a drive-through window in so people don't have to go in, you know? And then somebody says, you're a genius. But the guy who came up with the idea got it because he was in a fast food drive-through, right? And then somebody else says, well, banks, right? So he goes to his boss. He says, let's put a drive-through in the bank. And the guy's like, you're a genius. Nobody's doing this in the bank industry. But he got it from the pharmacy guy who got it from the fast food guy, right? And I mean, now you can get married in a drive-through, right? So the concept is we are the first in an industry. We're not necessarily the first. Um, so in this case, like WordPress is this, this thing that 17 out of 100 new websites use online. So it's a significant thing that expands into every market that you could ever imagine possible. And for bloggers, there was this tool that was aimed at backing up your blog in its entirety with like one click, which previously didn't exist. And it did okay. We changed the mechanism. So we took the same concept, but we brought it to a different audience, which is like make money online, guys. And we said instead of backing up your blog, which is boring, we said here's how you can – clone your website and then turn them into profit making potentials. So see how we changed the mechanism there? But more importantly is we also were the first in the market to ever sell this thing to this market. So not only did we sell it in a way that had never been sold before with that different hook, but we also brought it to a brand new market who we thought would be receptive to it. We just took the fast food drive through and we brought it over and we made it the pharmacy drive through right? No, it, is, um, it is great, Jason, because what, what I... Oh, go ahead. Well, so here's here's to the point now. So the first time I go out there to sell this concept, right, we're all excited. We're like, we're going to make millions. This is going to be great. We get on a webinar, which is one of my favorite ways to sell, and I know it's one of your favorite ways, John. 
and we just tank. I mean, like, bomb. I think we sold $5,000 worth of this product, which uh, it, that is like a colossal failure in my eyes. And I'm sitting there like to say, oh, my God, <laughs> I totally screwed that up, right? Now, here's what's funny. My business partner, who's not a sales guy, he's the total operations guy, he says to me, well, I was watching the audience live during the webinar, not like physically seeing them, but I was watching the comment streams come in. And he goes, this one concept that you talked about over here, uh, which is we take for granted because we know a little bit. He's like, your audience didn't know what that meant. And then once they couldn't understand what that meant, they couldn't buy on to any other concept you had behind that. So we went through and we started analyzing these chat logs. And literally, I'm seeing every single issue, every single challenge, every single hard-to-understand concept. Now, we changed this webinar presentation, John, and I mean 85% of it's exactly the same. Okay, We slightly modify just one or two or three things because there's usually only one or two or three things that keep coming up when somebody's having trouble with something. We double down hard on those one or two three things, barely change the presentation, but just enough. We go back. We launch this product again to the same audience, by the way, right? And here's the results this time, John. I'll give it to you in a way that everybody can appreciate. This was, a, this was around the uh, baseball playoffs a few years ago, 2010, right? And this was when uh, Roy Halladay pitched a perfect game in the postseason, which I think had only happened one time previous to that or maybe had never happened before. It was big news, okay? So they published the hottest web pages of the day, a site called Alexa does, right? And that day, that was the 10th hottest site of the day. We were 11th. We were the 11th hottest site of the day for that product, a product which earlier that month was a colossal failure. We went on and then sold over 10,000 units of that product until this very day continues to make me money on complete autopilot, right? So the thing is, if I would have given up and say, well, gee, you know, uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I didn't get it right, so therefore let's just quit, right? I would have robbed myself of literally over a million dollars in net profit, right? But instead, I, I swallowed my pride. And we said immediately, if this thing didn't work, let's analyze the data. In this case, the data was that very night after the webinar was over. We're reading the chat logs, right? But if it's a Facebook campaign, we're seeing the click-through rates. We could change one thing. We can change stuff in our offers just like that and immediately within the next day be realigning. And the good thing is, is if you know the concept well enough, if you see the audience and what they want well enough, it's usually just a matter of tweaking a couple things to pr produce a dramatically different result. But we go into every campaign, John, saying, well, let's just see what happens. Not, this has got to be a winner. It's, let's just see what happens. Because we know if we don't hit the mark, we're going to hit the mark anyway. Well, uh, and we're, we're able to do so cheaply and in very, very real time. Well, right? what I love, too, I mean, this, this is where I do love technology a lot. Because, I mean, we're talking about human behavior throughout all of this. But unlike previous times, we can now have real-time data. And we can really examine it and do the fine-tuning. So I want to go to the last step. So the last step that we, we've got here is what I've seen you do Jason, is scale things up. So I always look at it. Once we nail it, okay, we nail the client experience, you've got something going, how do you scale it up to to really capture that and, and, and uh, you know, the full value of that success? Absolutely. So I never want to do something that can only be leveraged once. That's a business philosophy that I have, is every single thing I do has to justify itself by being able to be leveraged multiple ways. Okay, now that's a very high-level concept, so let's break that down specifically. Uh, so an example of uh, 
where we switched out and we started using PDFs when everybody else was using videos, right? The cool thing about that is I now have that in my arsenal for every marketing campaign that I want to do. So when we sit down and conceptualize it, we say, does using the PDFs in this way for this marketing make sense, right? And if it does, then we consider it. If it doesn't, that doesn't mean we forget about it forever. We just say maybe in the next launch it makes sense, okay? The other thing to keep in mind to remember is there's certain methods I have, John. One of the reasons why they work is because of the novelty of them, okay? So if I use them in every single launch, my customers are going to become immune to them very quickly, right? So I have to pick and choose which one of these things I will use when, right? So the problem most business people have is they, they fall back onto one or two or three things that they use and they run it into the ground, they beat it to death, and then their customers get tired of that. So then they have to invent a new one. And then very often they don't because they just say, why? Why do I have to learn things? Why can't I just do the same thing over and over again and get the same result, right? Um, instead, I say, this is the change. Is what if we had so many different things that we're constantly doing to be contrarian to the rest of the market that at any given time we have a grab bag of them for any campaign and we can just run down the list and say we're going to use this one, we're not going to use this one, we're going to use this one, but we need enough of these because every one of them has to continually feel fresh when we use it, right? So that's the first way that you can think of is whatever I use today, how can I also archive it so it can be used later in other situations and circumstances. Another thing that I like to do is there's, there are certain breakthroughs. They don't happen very often, but there are certain breakthroughs that you will stumble upon that you will then want to make a core part of your business, right? And so I'll give you a great example of that. So we developed this technique, and it's funny because John and I are on Skype right now. Uh, and most people don't use Skype. Um, and then people who do use Skype, they only use it really to communicate and talk to loved ones afar so they don't have to pay, like, long distance or whatever, right? And then there's some people who use it for business purposes, but they only use it to talk one-on-one -on -one or to text back and forth and connect that way instead of calling on the phone or using email, right? We said to ourselves, everybody who, who uses Skype in our market, how can we use this as a marketing platform? Uh, and so what we would do is we'd figure out ways during promotions to say, hey, if you need anything at hel help at all, join our Skype group. Right, and we would give them instructions on how to join it. Literally, clicking a button like you'd click a link on a web page. So my my tech guys figured this out. We would dump them in there, and we would group sell them on Skype. And then anybody who was interested individually in knowing more, we'd add them as a friend, and then we'd call them right on Skype. And so instead of getting their phone number, picking up the phone and calling them, like it's the same concept telemarketing, only I guess it's VoIP marketing, right? And so we developed this technique, and it worked really good for one launch because we said, what's a sales mechanism we can use that nobody else in the market is currently using? Right now, here's the best thing of all, John. Once we discovered how effective it was, we literally built software around it. So at a push of a button, we could deploy it anywhere. We, we literally started building whole things that purposely led to a piece of the puzzle being a Skype uh, exit funnel. Right. So when certain things are a breakthrough, because nobody else in the market was doing it then and, and nobody's still doing it now, which blows my mind because it's there and, and anybody in our market can see it. Right. Is once something happens that is truly breakthrough, you got to double down on it and you got to go all in on it, because otherwise either some other people will start catching up to you. And if they catch up to you, then you don't have a vantage anymore. Right. Or. You will never develop it fully to the point where instead of giving like this much results, it becomes a complete game changer. I mean, we both know Peter Diamandis because uh, we, uh, you know, we were in Newport Beach earlier this year together, mm -hmm. right, John? And, and Peter talks about like 
disrupting a market. One of the best ways that you can grab and take over a market is to completely disrupt it. And a lot of people are like, oh, no, I don't want to disrupt anything. Disruption is bad, right? And I'm thinking, wow, that's brilliant because if we get in and disrupt the market, out of chaos comes order. So if we create the chaos, we can kind of funnel the order of what the order should be, right? So when you get something that shows merit, that you say, wow, the first time I used it, I didn't have to fix it, which is not normally the case, right? If you hit it out of the park right away, not only do you archive it to consider in every campaign when it makes sense, but you also say, how can we double down on this? So all those who see this, who try to play catch up, will never catch up. And you get one of those a year, you're lucky. But one of those a year is millions of extra dollars in your business. No, it's, it's so good. And, it, and it's just, I, I love you know, when you get something working well, throw resources. It's kind of like when you get the slot machine, if you put a dollar in and $2, $3, $4 come out, put more dollars in. <laughs> I mean, it's just, okay. Let's, let's go to a new segment here, uh, sure. Jason. The book of the day. What was yes. the entrepreneurs well this is so funny john because we talked about this like uh, i recommend a book which most people wouldn't think i would it's by dr thomas j stanley and it's called uh, the millionaire next door and you know most guys with phds i don't like listening to because uh, they're usually professors who never leave the the and work in the real world right so very rarely does like a professor of marketing ever have any true valuable insight in my experience maybe i'm prejudiced i don't know but like thomas j stanley is my favorite because it's empirical evidence with actual scientific approach to understanding what is a millionaire who are they how did they get there um so when i read that book and by the way it's so broke it wasn't even funny when i started reading that book and i read it every year is it's, it's amazing once you actually see what separates the millionaire the overachiever financially from everybody else uh, and so that book to me is so defining on the insights of the high income earners versus everybody else and it's an old book it's not a famous book. When people talk about business books, they always reference things like Think and Grow Rich and, and stuff like that, right? But it's like, to me, it was the most impactful book that I ever read. If you're going to uh, market to the affluent at all, it's everybody, it should be in your library. No question. Let's go to the next segment. The application of the day. <laughs> you, know, you use a lot of technology. Jason, what would you recommend that your fellow entrepreneurs use uh, to help them uh, really accelerate their success. Yeah, now here's the good news, John. Your audience is a very already high-achieving audience because you share with me the, the typical uh, demographic makeup of the audience before this. Um, the challenge that using this application is you have to actually be able to read between the lines and make inferences that a lot of people don't feel they're capable of. I know anybody can do this, um, but most people don't have the confidence to do this. But the, the app that I use more than any app is called uh, Alien Blue, and it's for a site called reddit.com. Now, most people, including John, <laughs> have never heard of Reddit. Reddit is the ninth most no, popular I, I've website. heard of Reddit. Yeah, you've heard of it. I've actually been on it a few times using it, probably only after talks that you gave and others <laughs> like you. It's not one that I'm actively used, and definitely Alien Blue I'd never heard of. Yeah, it, it's so Reddit's the ninth most popular site in the United States, 25th most popular site worldwide. It's typically a younger demographic that goes there. They're very liberal, so you have to get past all that. But <laughs> Well, I don't use it for like a news source, okay? The way I use it is I say these are the default subreddits, as they call them, and there are certain ones like World News. There are certain other ones like videos and so forth, and I say, 
what's the trends? What are they? What keeps being upvoted the most? What keeps being reposted the most? What is the typical top voted comment for a news article? Why is this popular? Then I always ask myself, what's the opposite side of that, right? Just like the opposite of a of a very open liberal is a very mm -hmm. close conservative, right? I say, what would the opposite demographic to this conclusion? What would their conclusion be? And here's why I like this, John, because not only am I tied into all these major events which can influence the public at large, which would then influence any market, right? But I also get these feelings. You, you can learn to predict behavior over time, right? So I'll give you one example that I've learned from Reddit. Um, they call these clickbait, uh, clickbait titles. You'll read a title, a headline, and you'll be blown away by it, and you'll immediately take it as fact more often than not. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. Everybody is, right? But what you'll find is when you click on the article and you look at the comments on Reddit, usually very often in these hard-to-believe titles, the top comment that's voted up the most will debunk it, and they'll debunk it in a certain way, and it'll be like, Wow. So not only is it valuable for you personally to realize that um, very often these headlines, which is what we almost always re rely on to draw conclusions without ever reading the content, not only are the hypey ones usually completely inaccurate, it's usually the opposite. Uh, so that's valuable for us individually, but here's what's more important. Once you realize that the audience is drawn to those certain titles and they're drawn immediately to come up with certain conclusion, now you can get attention. And then what's even better is what if you got attention and then drew attention to it in a way where you can give insight where most people don't get insight? So instead of running an article that's, that is like preposterous, you say, is it possible to – and then you put the preposterous on it, uh, uh, headline. And then you open up the copy, and this is any communication that you could put in front of your audience perspective. I don't care if it's a postcard. I don't care if it's a podcast. I don't care if it's in print. I don't care if it's digitally done, right? I don't care if it's on Instagram. doesn't matter, right? Once you get their attention, if you can gain rapport because you can give them the insight that they're not normally used to giving, which empowers them, now you have a very captive audience. And you know the hardest thing to do in any business is get the prospect's attention. If we can get the prospect's attention, very many of us can articulate offers and things that we have that we do very good. And if we can get attention, we can basically write our own checks at that point in time. So that's one of many ways that I like to use Reddit to see and spot behavioral patterns. And very quickly, John, and then this comes back to the final analysis, is you, you spot certain behavioral patterns, and that's what you factor in when you plan your trends. No, and it, this is just so powerful. Powerful. And let me do the last segment because we're running out of time here, Jason. I want to do the key takeaway. You, what you and I have been talking about, what you've really led us through. I mean, the very first thing, you know, I'm going to encourage everybody. Jason is a uh, uh, really brilliant. Uh, he's one of the top marketers uh, in the world and he, he's delivering results. And, you know, he, he's got a lot of insights. Definitely go to AESNation.com. Get the transcript. Go through it because there's a lot of value in what we're talking about here. See the show links. We'll also put up uh, uh, Jason's YouTube channel because he's got a great channel uh, where he's sharing his insights as well. And But I want to go over the, the big five that we talked about here. You know, The very first is... You know, before you do anything, make sure you invest the time to spot the trends. Understand who the buyers are of what you're looking to sell, what the results are they're looking to get, where they're becoming disillusioned with the trends, and be leading the charge. Second, put together a strategy of how you're going to deliver a great client experience 
as well as attract them. Be tactical. Be different in your application of uh, tactics and, and really be distinctive. You, you don't want to look like you know, everyone else. There's so much noise out there. Recognize that you're not going to be right unlikely to be right the first time in direct marketing they you know that first package is kind of the control and you always want to beat the control how should you pivot how do you fine tune it and when you nail it the last one scale it up put resources at it we don't get this many times that we're really delivering and getting a great result uh jason i, I want to thank you this has been uh you know fantastic some great insights you're really out there making a difference well, thank you, John. It's, it's all, this is always so fun. Well, and for all of you, you know, who are watching or listening to this, you know, uh, Jason and I are having a heck of a lot of fun having results for our clients and all our future clients. You know what? Your future clients, your current clients, they're all counting on you. Make sure to take action on this, and you'll be glad you did. Wish you the best of success. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs, AESNation.com.